Hi, everyone. Hi. My name is George. Uh, like Rianne said, I'm an elder from City Bowl in the city. That was a test. I was making sure everyone's awake this morning. Yeah? Um, but I just want to say it's so nice to see so many, so many gray hairs and young children. Like for me, that is just the most amazing thing. I think in God's household, it's also beautiful when you see a cross-section of um, all of life stages. And I just want to say it's so amazing how like in life, um, children, young people and old people come together at just the right time. You know, like in physical families, when you get young children um, in later life, you do things that you would never normally do. You stare at earthworms for like 10 minutes, <laughs> looking at little insects, and it causes you to kind of have that childlike wonder that we seem to lose as we get older. And um, it's the same thing spiritually. You know, these youngsters, and when I say that those youngsters, other youngsters in your 20s and whatever, you need the maturity that the gray-haired toppies have here and the wisdom and the life experience, but they also need your enthusiasm and your vigor and your wonder and your freshness. So just wanted to say that off the cuff, uh, I always love seeing churches filled with different stages of life. So like I said, my name's George. My wife's in the front row there. Philippa, not Phil, guys. Okay, let's go up into trouble a couple times. Booking in for George and Phil. <laughs> Phil identifies as female. <laughs> and uh, I've got two beautiful daughters, Zoe and Olivia. And, um, and there, might, there might be long-term plans of an arranged marriage with an Achenbach boys. I'm just saying. I don't know if it's biblical, but I think we're going to try, so <laughs> don't tell Andrew Silly. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I'm here this morning, and I just wanted to say, my wife's in the front row, because I often make jokes when I get nervous, so if I get too funny, you know, it's, it's just nerves talking, but, but yeah, for us, man, we've had a, one of those weeks, eh? You know when the kids are sick on the, <laughs> on the drive here, just had to stop the car, one of the girls had a good vomit out the window, keep going, full sick, it's month end, it's like... It's just real. You know, like life's real. So uh, I don't tell you that to feel sorry for me. That, that's, I, I chose a family, so it's, it's my problem, not yours. But, um, but I just wanted to precursor that to say that like, being here costs all of us. It, it does. It's, it's, a lot of us here have had tough weeks. A lot of us here are facing trials and tribulations and, and just life. And um, so I want to say what I'm about to preach about today, I'm, I'm living myself. I'm not coming here to bring a, bring a, a strong word and... Uh, you know, not doing it myself. So, I just want to know, if, uh, Phil, other Phil, can you bring up Matthew 24 verses 12? Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Can you bring up 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 5 as well? But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Peoples will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do with them. Man, you, you see those churches that preach the prosperity gospel, and you, you see why they do it. Eh? It's lucky to come into a place and say, guys, it's going to be amazing. Everything's going to be fine. 
it's another thing when you read your Bible and you live normal life and you realize like, wow, life sometimes gets very real. And Jesus was honest with us. He says, guys, in the end times, things will get hard. And um, my heart for this morning is to, is to come in truth, but also to encourage us towards, to, towards what's ahead. So I'm just going to unpack this a little bit. That, that word used in, um, uh, in Matthew 24, you know, the increase in wickedness, is actually uh, the Greek word is anomia, and derived from the root word a, which means agnostic, like a means um, without, and nomos means law. And um, that can be translated either into lawlessness or wickedness. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus is referring to a time where lawlessness will increase, leading to a decline in love and moral values amongst people. And I don't know about you guys, but when I watch the news, man, when I'm on Twitter and I see the decline in morality, there's some things which we, we just all assumed would never change, and now all of a sudden it's totally up for negotiation. Um, the riots, the... <laughs> Just, and it's not just even here. I'm talking on a global level. You know, when people are saying, I'm, I'm going to go to Canada, um, I sometimes get a bit nervous because I feel like it's sometimes more dangerous spiritually overseas than it even is here. So it's not just, I'm not talking from a South African perspective, I'm talking from like a global perspective, you know? There's an interesting theory called the broken windows theory, and I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it. It's, um, the principle is based on the idea that if you drive past a factory and there's one broken window, um, if it's left, that one window is left unrepaired, um, it's, um, I'm just going to read this because it's actually a theory. A seemingly minor neglect can attract more serious forms of crime, vandalism. It creates an environment that appears neglected, abandoned, and lawless. And the theory suggests that by fixing minor signs of disorder promptly, such as repairing a broken window, cleaning up graffiti, communities can prevent spread of more serious crimes and maintain a safe environment. In essence, the broken windows principle highlights the importance of maintaining order and addressing signs of disorder in public spaces to create a sense of community pride to deter criminal activity and foster safety. And um, my encouragement this morning, the reason why I tell you about the theory of broken windows is it might seem quite small and simple this morning. We're talking about guarding our hearts, lifting our gaze, acknowledging the problems of the world. You might say, yeah, George, a little adjustment in our heart. But I tell you, the world isn't doing that. The world is increasingly becoming cold and dark. And um, yeah, these little minor adjustments in our hearts can have a profound effect on the spiritual climate that we live in. Okay. And, um, and I just want to remind us that God's good all the time, even when we feel like we can't see it. And I, I was just reminded of, imagine the disciples, like it's Palm Sunday. They've just walked the Messiah into Jerusalem, victorious on a donkey, people going crazy. It's literally a week later, he's dead. I don't know, I don't know if we've thought of that. For me, that is totally mind-blowing. And God's timing is definitely not our timing. He doesn't do things the way we expect him to do. And um, it actually reminds me of the last time I preached. It's actually, <laughs> it actually was in Brooklyn with Rian and Esther. And uh, my kids were sick. I know there's a, there's a pattern here, huh? And uh, <clears throat> so, so I got, I got, um, I got Barbara, Christoph. I got Christoph in the car with me, one of our deacons. Just by the way, Christoph and Barbara got married, eh? Just want to let you know. Beautiful. And um, we're driving in the car, and Christoph's like, yes, but can I pray for you? I said, yeah, of course, let's pray. You know? And I prayed, and I said, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm going to Brooklyn to preach and to love your bride and to minister to your children. Lord, please can, you, please can you look after my bride and my children? 
you know, and I felt like it was a really sincere prayer. I was like, I'm really trusting God. I'm going out there. My kids are sick. You know, it's like awful. And um, I'll never forget it. I've just finished this mammoth preach. Just stop watching me on 12 o'clock, yeah? Got you. And um, <laughs> I totally preached way too long. So that's why everyone was like, 12 o'clock, you know, kick you out, eh? I was like, right, got it. And um, I just finished preaching in Brooklyn, and Esther comes and taps me on the shoulder. She's like, Psst. yeah? She says, um, so he's in hospital. I was like, that really, like the cognitive dissonance in what was said and what I was expecting was completely, completely on polar ends of the spectrum. I just couldn't, I couldn't hold that tension of, I've literally just poured my heart out into a congregation sincerely pray to the Lord for, for my family, which is, it's not for me, it's for them, you know, in, in many ways. And um, only to find that my wife had taken my daughter to the most expensive hospital in Cape Town. <laughs> yeah, I laugh. It's, it's, not, it's funny now. It's not, it wasn't funny then. <clears throat> you, know, you know, like when the co-payment the co is like 5,000 rand, like, what? Just for the, sheesh. Okay. So they, and then because they they clocked in at that hospital and there was a drip up, they they couldn't just drive to that the hospital we were covered for. So, so they put Zoe into an ambulance, uh, which which also isn't it's not the same as an Uber. It's a little bit more expensive. <laughs> and uh, and I remember just saying to Zoe, I was like, so that is your birthday present. Okay, that 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 was it. You're not getting anything else. You know, the sirens and everything. That was it. Okay. And, um, and I just remember just asking the Lord, you know, God opposes the pride, but it gives grace to the humble. And sometimes when we approach God, um, how we approach God determines whether he resists us or, or he draws near to us. And, you know, with a proud heart, I could have said, why did you do this, Lord? I demand an answer. Why? None of this makes sense. Lord, I, deserve, I didn't. I said, Lord, I, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. Please, can you help me? And, um, and I heard nothing. And God didn't answer me. And that was, that was fine, because he doesn't have to. But I will say, God answers my prayers, but it wasn't in the way I expected. Right? A couple of weeks later, Zoe, so Zoe got taken to this, this, because she went to this very expensive hospital, they took, did all the, the tests which would have been deemed unnecessary, right? The x-rays and the whatever. And they found the silent pneumonia on her lung, which they wouldn't have picked up otherwise with the normal, normal things. And because they picked up that silent pneumonia, she was booked into hospital, and she was there for about a week or so, and she recovered beautifully. And the doctor there even said, if you had come here, we wouldn't have done that x-ray because it would have been unnecessary. We wouldn't have picked it up, and she probably would have got a lot more sick for a lot longer. And then long story short, I don't know, gap cover or something, I don't know. I, that money all got paid back. Do, do you know what I mean? So, so. What I, what I experienced is God abandoning me and just not listening to my prayer and really not answering things the way I would it. Because in my mind, it's A plus B equals C. You know, God's timing is very different. Eh? You can pray and wait and trust and nothing. <laughs> but that doesn't mean he's not working. And it, doesn't, it just means his timing is not the same as us. Because his ways are far beyond. And he's, he sees things and, and, and does things beyond what I can see and understand. So... So I just wanted to share that with you. Um, it felt applicable for some reason. Um, Phil, can you bring up Hebrews 10? I want to dive into some scripture here. Hebrews 10 verses 14. Beautiful. NIV. I know Rian likes the King James Version, but I'm going to go NIV just for ease of 
<laughs> so because, uh, f- uh, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who, who are being made holy, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, the sins and lawless acts I'll remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another to, <laughs> may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see that day approaching, or the day approaching. So, for me that is beautiful, because if you, if you count all the times in that scripture where it talks about him, okay, so what, is he, what does it say? He says, he has made perfect forever those being made holy. God says from Jeremiah, is referencing Jeremiah in that scripture, he says, I will make them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write it on their minds. He adds, I will remember it no more. The sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. There's a new living way by his body, a great priest, which is referring to Jesus. But then it talks about what we do. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and a full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who is promised is faithful. There's a beautiful tension I find um, in a lot of the Christian walk we find there's a lot of things that God does, but there's also things that we do. And so I don't know if you've ever spoken to someone um, that oscillates on the one side and say, I'm just trusting Jesus for everything. I'm just, he's going to give me everything. It's a breakthrough, right? They're not wrong, okay? But there's also things that they've got to do. You've still got to get up. You see it in, in people trusting for, like guys, sometimes they trust for a wife, right? I'm trusting I've prayed, I've fasted, um, she's coming. Okay, But you also have to get dressed and you've got to You've got to go, you know, she's not going to knock on your door. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to ask people for coffee. You've got to try, like, it's both and. Yes, you're trusting the Lord, but you've also got to do some things on your side. Okay. So I just want to double click on, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, some of the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see that day approaching. I love that word, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's not, it's not let, let the elders think about that, how Rian, let Rian think about how Rian can encourage the saints. It's let us consider how we, you know, you know when we were at the last 412 conference, <clears throat> I went for a wee, and um, sometimes I have the most profound moments going for a wee, actually, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, I remember just praying to the Lord, I was like, Lord, 
I, I'd, I'd smock a, a prophetic word. Eh? I really would. I'd just love it just to hear from you. Maybe someone just tapped me on the shoulder and say, hey, for you, George. You, George. Yes. Amazing. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, George, imagine, imagine if the whole conference, everyone asked me that. Okay? Imagine if everyone said, oh, I'd like a prophetic word. I'd love it if someone just came and gave me an encouragement or, or something. You know? And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, imagine if everyone rather said, Lord, I'm here. Who can I encourage? Who can I spur on? Who can, who can I give a word to? And I was like, sure, Lord, you're right. And I just, I washed my hands because that's what you do after you have a wee. And I, said, and I said to the Lord, I was like, Lord, I'm available. I would love to encourage someone. You're right, 100%. And it was so beautiful. You know, I bumped into, I bumped into a girl in our congregation who was having a bit of a wobbly. She just, she said, oh my gosh, George, I'm so glad I saw you. You won't believe. And she just about a relationship and a guy and a this and blah, blah, blah. It's just a bit messy. And I was like, right. And in that word, in that moment, I had the wisdom to tell her exactly what was going on. I just felt it was like a download. Boom. Gave it to her. Oh, George, thank you. Man, that makes so much sense. I really, oh. And she could go into the next session with a clear mind. Her heart was settled. Nothing was going to steal from that the rest of her day. I was able to be God's little fire extinguisher. Just that. Nothing profound, not a salvation moment, just a, a moment of clarity, wisdom, and encouragement, you know? And, um, and I just wanted to encourage us, you, you know, we had a moment in, in City Bowl the other day where two of our deacons, we just, we just want to try to re-emphasize the, the beauty and the importance of the Lord's Day. Sunday is the Lord's Day. And it's incredible how when you read the scriptures, there's a lot of the miracles that happen um, in the New Testament, the book of Acts. Like when the tongues of fire comes, it's the Lord's Day. Jesus resurrected, happens to be the Lord's Day. For some reason, Jesus likes the Lord's Day. It's, it's still something very special about it. And um, so we're just trying to encourage our saints, because what's happening in culture is there's races, <clears throat> you know, lots of running races people do. I'm just saying, if you feel convicted, you can talk to Phil afterwards. It's a joke. Um, but uh, yeah, so what's happening in culture is the Sundays used to be pretty, pretty reserved for church and for family. And even sh- when I was young, shops weren't even open. You couldn't pop down to spa to get a, a loaf of bread because the shops were closed. And these days, you know, secular culture, things are open all the time and nothing sacred, nothing special. And um, we asked our two deacons to come back actually from a, a weekend away to, to make, you know, to show that the sense that we treat Sundays as a priority and they did. And I remember some people saying to me, but that's a bit harsh, don't you think? It's just a weekend. And I remember thinking to myself, it is a bit harsh, but isn't it beautiful to consider that those two deacons, God could use them. He, there could be something on their heart that only they could say to someone that might change someone's life. You know, Rian was talking about addiction earlier. You look at people and they look fine. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know what kind of week they've had. You don't know the burdens they're carrying. And, that, and just being available to be used by the Holy Spirit, you, you cannot underestimate the power of a kind word, the power of an encouragement, the power of a word, even just a word of knowledge. It happened to me two weeks ago. I looked at a guy and I thought to myself, he's had a hard week. Just had a hard week. I, I can just sense it, you know? And I went up to him and I said, Bud, can I pray with you? Yeah, I've had such a hard week. I said, you won't? No. Really? Smiling. That's amazing. <laughs> And, and I could just encourage him. And the encouragement wasn't that I had something profound to say to him. The encouragement was that he felt that God saw that he had a hard week. He still had a hard week. It didn't take the hard week away from him. 
but God saw it. And, and knowing that he had a father in heaven that sees his struggles, that encouraged him so, so much. In 2 Timothy 4, there's a beautiful, I just love Paul's writing, especially in the beginning and the ends of his letters. It's almost like the passing comments. And he says some things here. <clears throat> Do your best to come quickly for Demas. For Demas, that's his name. Because he loved this world, he has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And um, I love that. Like, it was only Luke. Luke was, Luke was Paul's chum. He was the only guy there to try help Paul in his time of need. He was the guy God used to encourage Paul. Paul, the apostle who wrote, it was like a third of the New Testament, right? This guy was in a machine, a powerhouse, an incredible apostle. Even he needed to be encouraged, right? Um, I saw this tweet this week. I, I, I thought it was quite funny. You guys might not think so, but... Um, Someone was saying, no one talks about the, the Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. <laughs> hey? Isn't that funny? I think it's hilarious, eh? And, um, and the reason why it's funny for you younger people who might have like a lot of friends is that as you get older, life gets busier and you get more demands on your life and you find it's increasingly difficult to keep building with people because you're so spent either on work or... It's a hundred, especially when you become a parent. You know, if you have any free time, you're probably spending it doing your SARS return or something. You know, so um, so my question is: Who do you break bread with? Who do you call when you're feeling down? Who do you go for a coffee with and enjoy a really good laugh? And who's that person to you? You know, family are the people that God gives you. That's like uh, your starter pack, right? But friends are the treasures you get to choose along the way, and. Um, and I just want to encourage you, like, the thing of friendship is so critically important. So critically important. And even guys in ministry, I find us, us elders, you know, we're very professional. Sometimes we're like, cool, we, we're going to go to Gordon's Bay hypothetically. You know, just someone that, you know, could be called to Gordon's Bay. <clears throat> and then um, your friendship stops. And um, I'm teasing. No, but it's, it's, we can become very... Um, just very functional in our friendships. But I tell you, you know, I've got, I've got people in my life that I fight for. I've got people in my life that I've known for decades that irrespective of where I am and where they are, they've got an open access to my life to critique me. To say, often I'll say, I'll bounce ideas with them and say, hey, I, I think I'm thinking this. And I'll go, no, but you always think this when you're stressed. Oh, you're right. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that feedback. You know, I've said it before, but once um, I was, my sense of humor gets me in trouble sometimes, and I made some jokes with Phil, and it was when we were newly married, one of my jokes was like, oh, but you always do that. You know, it was like an overemphasis on her negatives. And I remember we went to a friend's birthday party, and some, one of her friend's friend actually said, oh, Jordan, Phil, okay. How's their marriage doing? A little bit on the rocks. And I said, no, they're, they're very happily married. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And they were saying, yeah, but the humor sounds a bit sharp. You know, it sounds a bit like, ugh. And, uh, and then when Phil told me that, I was quite bleak. Eh? I was like, yes, don't they know me? And but then I realized when, you know, when someone brings criticism to you, if your immediate response is anger or frustration or, you know, if, if, um, you know, if, someone, calls me an, uh, if someone calls me a Nazi, right, I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to be like, yo, dude, I don't know where you got that from. I, I, I'm not German. Is yeah, yeah um, I'm drawing blanks here. You can check for body tattoos. There's nothing, you know. And, um, but I'm not going to get angry because I know there's nothing within me. But if there is a sense of anger that rises up, 
it's generally an indication that there actually might be something there, even if it's small. So what I did is I wrote, I wrote uh, five of my close friends, I wrote them an email and said, hey guys, do you think this is true of my marriage? And four of them came back saying, no, I think you're fine. But my own friend, Brian, said, he wrote back and said, no, but yeah, not all the time, and it's subtle, but it is there. And I was like, sure, that's, that's truth, and it hurts. And I went before the Lord, and I prayed, and I repented, and I, I tweaked my heart. I, you know, I did that. But that wouldn't have happened if I didn't have people that can speak into my life. Yeah. And, and you don't have to have besties in school. These people around you, you know, you know when God says, love your neighbor? And you say, who is my neighbor? There's a good chance it's your, it's your wife. It's a person next to you. It's a person in your row. That's your neighbor who you called, called to love. And, uh, and sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes we just need to be available. We're, we're talking earlier about people going through tough times and how we, we sometimes we don't have all the answers, but we ask all the questions. And I remember someone saying, you know, in the book of Job, Job's friends, when Job was going through his tough times, actually the, the friend's best moments weren't when they're giving him advice or trying to tell him what he did wrong or how to repent. They actually just sat with Job. They just sat with him. They were there with him. And they just loved him. But I don't know. I don't know the answer. But I know God's good. I'm going to be here with you. You know, sometimes it's just a coffee. Take a person a, a quality flat white. You know? Sometimes that's all they need. It's preach. And... Um, yeah, so I just want to encourage you, just, just be available. Even if you feel like you don't have much to give, you don't have the wisdom, you can just be available and say, even on a Sunday, Lord, I'm here. Use me. That thing of not giving up meeting together. Guys, this is, this is so crucially, vitally important, and it's, it terrifies me. I have, I have friends. Um, man, I have friends. I, I think I'm just going all over my notes here. But, you know, I've got friends who once served the Lord powerfully. Friends that were in ministry, friends that did things for the Lord, who just, just took a break from church. They just took a season out. They just, and a month turns into six months, turns into a year. Five years later, they're wondering why their kids don't know the Lord. And, um, and, that, and I just want to encourage us that that meeting together, that is, that's Sundays, that's Wednesdays, that's Mondays. It's not just... It's not just today. Today, the Lord's Day is critically important, and that's foundational. But it's, let's not give up meeting together because we're tired. Let's not give up meeting together because there's no budget for food. We do soup now. <laughs> it gets to the end of the month, feels like we're making soup. If you want to come for dinner, it's, it is soup. Which I'm actually con- I'm using this as, a, as a, an elder now. I want to decree it's not a meal. It's actually, it's actually just a hot shake. And I know this is being recorded, so it's good. Okay. So we need to apply faith to these things as well. And I, and I just want to also encourage us. I know the 412 conference is coming up. And when I joined Josh Jen, I was like, I can't stomach another. Con- I can't. Yeah, I came from, a, from a, a movement. We did these things. And I was like, I've been there. I've seen it. And you know what? I actually, I actually had to submit to my leaders. They called it. And I was like, I don't feel like it. And I don't want to. But I'm going to do it out of obedience. And once I started doing it, I started to see the grace on it. And I started to see the fruitfulness of it. And I started to enjoy it because I chose to. And um, so I just want to just encourage us, let's not give up. And I know in Josh Jen we meet a lot together. That's <laughs> probably preaching to the choir, yeah. But I want to encourage us, it's not a bad thing. It's a thing, that, it's a muscle that we need to, to um, constantly, constantly grow and make strong.
And I just want to say, when we do meet together, let's pray whenever possible. I had a friend pop around yesterday, and um, I was supposed to be prepping hard, and then he just came, and we just sat and chatted until, until late. And uh, it was so beautiful. At the end of it, he's like, I pray for you, bro. And he just prayed for me. I just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And it was just so, so, it's actually what I needed, you know, just, just someone loving on me. This is, um, this is a little bit abstract, but I want to also say one of the considerations of us meeting together is also our worship. <clears throat> I was chatting to my friend Luke, and he confirmed my suspicions, but there's such a beautiful thing uh, about corporate worship. And I know like, we meet together in pairs, we meet together as men, we pray together, but there is something very special about corporate worship. And um, we see it sometimes in the Old Testament. You know, when, they, they, the, when the walls of Jericho came down, they blew the trumpet. And then there's another story in two chronicles where the Israelites won a battle without physically fighting. They literally just, um, I think all the singers led ahead, praising God, and the armies turned against each other, leading a victory. So worship was actually the crucial role in their triumph. They actually didn't draw a sword. They just worshiped the Lord. And you know what's interesting is when the Israelites left Egypt, God didn't actually call them straight to the promised land. He first called them to make a sacrifice in the desert and worship him. And then they inherited, well, the theory was they would then inherit the promised land. And that same pattern is also in the, the Lord's Prayer. The first, the declaring of, of the Lord's holy name, then his kingdom comes. You can see it here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And... Um, And, you know, God doesn't need our praise and worship. He's got cherubim, seraphim. He's got the uh, living creatures, the archangels. He's, he's getting 24-7 quality worship, right? I'm not, I don't, worship team, don't hear what I'm not saying, right? But he doesn't, he doesn't actually, he's not going to disappear because we didn't bring uh, worship to him. He's perfectly self-sustaining in his glory. But he allows us. He allows us to experience that worship. And actually what happens is there's a, corporate worship is like a spiritual weapon. When we worship the Lord, we're actually aligning ourselves to true reality or true north. And when we think about that scripture, it talks about the end times getting lawless and reckless and stuff. I promise you, us worshiping together is one of the key tools that God uses to realign our hearts. To, to Because I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm in IT and I've, I've got... Twitter open, and I'm scouring the news. I'm trying to figure out what, what Russia is doing in the middle of Africa. I'm trying to figure things out. And, um, and sometimes that stuff sticks to you, right? All the news and the hardships and the strife and the taxi stuff, and it's just it's too much. And when you've got little kids, it's very easy to your clutch to slip, and you're like, ah, Lord. But, um, but what I find is, is true worship and spirit and truth, corporately with your brothers and sisters, pushes you into a realignment with, with who God is. And I just want to say, it's something I really struggle with. Uh, you know, when I came to Josh Chen, I came from a, from a, from a very respectable church. And uh, I would often just, I'd just pray like this. Bless you, Lord, you know. So what did I do? Worship. Sorry, I wouldn't pray. I would, I would but I would. I worship. Okay? I'd worship like this and very dignified. And I remember my lead elder, Ryan Kingsley, just coming to me and saying, but you need to worship with all of your heart, all of your mind all of your body, and all of your soul. And I was like, yeah, but Ryan, it's just not my, it's not my thing. I'm, I'm conservative, you know? And, um, 
Yeah, that's who I am, you know? And he's like, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But the one thing, man, you know, God's got a way of giving people insight. And he said to me, but what are you modeling for your children? What are you showing them who God is by the way you worship? And I was cut deeper. Shucks. I was like, yes, you're right. You're right. Because I looked at his children. And his children were with him in the front, jumping, going ballistic, not caring what other people think. At that stage, I still cared what people think. And I was like, I don't want my girls to grow up with insecurities and a skew view of God, so I'm going to try. So I would take my daughter as like a comfort pillow, and I would stand, <laughs> I would stand here at the front. and like, okay, we can do this. And then when she'd go, Daddy, can I go down? I'm like, no, 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 you've got to stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I, you can ask Rian afterwards, but I remember one of the worship guys, he started a, a fire tunnel. And I was, like, I was like, oh dear Lord. I was like, Lord, you know my heart, I'm trying here. Yeah? I'm trying, but this is like a bridge too far. I'm dying. Yeah? And I remember, <laughs> I remember just, just closing my eyes and praying, just like, oh Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm broken. I, I really, I don't have anything within me. I can't. And Rian actually came with a few, a few other guys, and he actually <laughs> they made a circle around me. He called it a prayer donut, and a fire donut. <laughs> They came around me and they just prayed for me, you know, and it was so beautiful because I didn't, I, I couldn't, I didn't. I, I was there, I was trying the best that I could, and I brought, it was like a fish in a loaf, I just brought what I had, and it was amazing how God spoke to Rian and a few other guys. You might not even remember that, it might just be like a pastor, but for me it was a profound moment, profound moment of God meeting me where I'm at, and all I did, all I did was just show up, and I brought all I had, which was just my stuff. Can we put Philippians 3 verse 7 to 12, full. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Guys, again, this is, I think this is Paul teaching. He's saying, not that I've already obtained all this. You know, Paul refers to himself in the scripture about 11 times. And Paul emphasizes his personal journey, his experiences, and commitment to pursuing a deeper relationship with Jesus. And for Paul to say that he hasn't, not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, to be honest, if I was living like Paul, I would have a severe case of uh, arrivedness. I would have felt like I, I, you've written one third of the scriptures, you've been persecuted, you've been, I mean, uh, it's a good CV, eh? But he himself said, I don't consider having taken hold of it yet. For one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining forward to what is ahead. You know, I don't know about you guys, but 
I, I think we've all lost something. I don't know. I still come to coffee shops sometimes, and I, and I I'm like, I pat myself on the mask. I'm like, where's my mask? I'm gonna, and then I realize it's got, I got PTSD. I, I re realize like I don't have to anymore. And I think we've forgotten that. Like, but society's changed. A lot has changed. A lot of us have lost jobs, businesses. There's some real. You know, I worked in this. I still work in this incredible company. But we had such incredible culture. We had such. I had such amazing friends. I had this beautiful office in Devadakant. It was like glass, you just saw the city, it was like stunning. You popped under the coffee shop, you, you know, it was so lekker. And um, now I work from home, and um, it is amazing. <laughs> and, um, and I've got this an incredible boss, and he, he often phones me, and he says, how's it working from home? I was like, yeah, Pavel, it's great, you know. <laughs> But I've got, I've got two, I've got, I've got young, a young family, and I, we, we don't have a big house, and uh, the kids' playroom is my remote office. So it's, it's, it's a challenge. Now, on the positive side, it's been incredible to see the difference I've, it's, been, it's made in my family, being able to be there and I help with reading, and I can um, potty, I can you know, do the things I need to do as a dad. And, um, but I remember my boss saying, because I, I was telling him all the things I've lost, and he said, yeah, but you get to be with your family, and that's the most important thing. And I was like, oh, man, that's hard because it's a, it's a small glimpse of what Paul's calling us to. Yes, we've lost things. Yes, we've struggled. Yes, there's been jobs and things. And it's not to minimize the pain, but I love what Paul's here. And Paul himself, you know, um, Ryan Kingsley came the other day and he spoke about self-pity and how when you read Paul's writings, there was no self-pity. Shipwrecked, cold, hungry, in prison, not once, twice, whipped, flogged, persecuted, abandoned. This guy with his friends left him. Like, sorry, Paul, it's a bit hectic. We're, I'm, we're out. <laughs> you know? And did he at once complain? Did he, did he fall into that trap of self-pity? Because I'm telling you, I've got to watch my heart. I, I fall into self-pity. I remember the good old days. I remember the things I once had. But uh, I want to be the kind of person that looks ahead and considers all things a loss other than knowing Christ himself. And guys, I just want to say I'm so grateful for people like Paul because if it was just Jesus, you could be tempted to say, but yeah, but that's God, right? He's supernatural. But, but Jesus himself gave us Paul who struggled and fought the good fight. And what did Paul do? Paul gave us Timothy, a youngster, who had to go talk to churches and tell them what they were doing wrong. He has his stomach issues and, I don't know, he was probably like a skinny guy and probably couldn't grow a beard, you know? And um, it's all that's that's the message version. I could be wrong, and um, but I love that. Like God gives us people to emulate, gives us people to follow. It's not impossible. If Paul and Timothy can do it, we can do it as well. And um, and I also believe I believe God gave us marriage as a beautiful parallel um, of how this sometimes works. Because the principle I'm trying to deal with here is. Sometimes people's marriages stop working, and it's not because the problem is with marriage. I, I remember before um, I got married, I remember I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I don't know if marriage works. I look at my parents, I look at my aunts and uncles, I look at the people around me. I, don't, I actually don't see too many flourishing marriages. I don't see, as, a, as like a 20-something-year-old, like I don't actually see cool marriages. You know? Even in the church, they look functional. They don't look like they're in love and that kind of thing. And I was on the promenade and I was walking and I was just talking to the Lord. And I felt like God said to me, George, just as the waves of the ocean are, so shall you be. And I was like, yeah, Lord. 
Thank you. Hmm. Yeah. And about 12 minutes later, I was like, Lord, I actually don't know what that means. That's like, <clears throat> man, it sounds spiritual, but I don't know what you're talking about. Eh? And I was like, please, can you explain it to me? And um, on a side note, I think often when God's talk, God talks to us, he does it on purpose because he actually wants dialogue with us. He wants us to ask and to debate and to talk. We're not robots. Like, you know, when I teach things to my children, I want them to ask questions because in the asking, we find understanding. And, um, and God's, uh, God gave me a thought, which was uh, in the book of Job, when Job's lamenting about how hard life is and how things aren't working, how he expects God says, but do you, do you know where the, who put, where, you know where the storehouses of snow are? Do you know where I keep the hail? Have you walked the, the sort of foundations of um, the ocean? And who sets the waves? Here's the line no further. Nice and appropriate here in Gordon's Bay. But who, who said to the ocean, here's your boundary line? God did. So my conviction was if God says marriage is a, is a good thing, it's a good thing. It doesn't matter what my experiences. It doesn't matter what family I come from. It doesn't matter what, what type of marriages I've even seen. Because that is not the benchmark of whether or not marriage is good. Marriage is good because God decrees it to be. And, um, and I just wanted to say another thing about marriage. It's, it's, it's a profound mystery. <clears throat> that uh, We've got, we got a, some friends. Man, I've actually got a, quite a few friends that once were in church and now marriages have fallen apart. We had an old friend who's not a Christian, not a believer, but his marriage had fallen apart. And when I, I just asked him, he said, no, we just kind of grew apart. And I just wanted to share something this morning because it's profound. Is that when, when in, in marriages, and, and, and for those of you single, just bear with me because it applies back to the church and I'll explain that. But in a marriage, what happens is we give, we give 100%, but then 100% often isn't given back. So then we, then we negotiate and we drop it down to 80%. And then we give 80%, but it's not given back quite the same. So what happens is you, you give less and less and less because your spouse is human, and they give less and less and less. And eventually you're like, well, it's pretty hard. So I'm going to stop trying. And that's when marriages, you, you stop choosing, and marriages start to drift. But I want to, I want to make the comparison between marriage and parenting. Because when a, when a child arrives, you don't know them. You just get given a human being. There they are. And I remember, I remember thinking this was my first child. I was like, dear Lord. Like this, this child, the paradox is she is flesh of my flesh and not my flesh, but also my wife's flesh. This is like a combination of me and my wife, right? But she's a complete stranger to me. It is the most mind-bending moment where you're like, wow, but I, I, know ev- I, you know, I know everything about you, but I know nothing about you. And, um, but what's amazing as a parent is you set your heart on that child. I mean, as a dad, I don't know about other dads there, but... For the first couple of years, you don't exist, eh? You just, you are not even on their little radar. You know, children, it's amazing. You know, even, even physiologically, a child can only see, like, it's like from here to here. They can only focus a very short uh, field of depth. And that's because they only need to see where the milk comes from. They don't need to see anything, right? Because their immediate need is just physical nutrition, okay? Now, as they get a bit older, what happens is the field of depth actually deepens. They can start seeing from here to here. And that's because they have an emotional need now. They need to feel a connection with their mom. So their depth of field goes from, from nose to chest to nose to face. And they can start to see expressions on a, on a mother and a father's face because their need is now emotional. And that's how they get fed emotionally. And, um, 
And what's amazing is, especially as a dad, I mean, you just get nappies and it just costs you a fortune and you, you sacrifice sleep. For those of you who don't have kids, it's still worth it. Just don't hear what I'm not saying. But, um, but it is a real sacrifice. But you know what's amazing about it is that you've, you've set your heart, right? You've set your heart 100% on loving this child, irrespective if they, they, they're ginger or short. I'm such a joke. Um, there's, you know, it doesn't matter if they grow up to be athletic, you love them. Like, there's nothing they can do or not do. In fact, if a child becomes a, a career criminal, I, I guarantee you their parents will still go visit them in prison. There's, there's no chance of like, well, I mean, there are some severe cases, but generally speaking, you, a, a, a father and a mother's love is steadfast and true. Why? Because we've chosen. Okay, marriage, marriage sometimes we think the choice is optional. Right? We sometimes only love when, when we kind of receive it back. And I just want to encourage us, it's the same thing in church. Okay? Sometimes we get hurt in church. Sometimes we get disappointed. Sometimes it's hard. And if we rely on emotions um, to guide us, we can find ourselves, our love growing cold. We can find ourselves just looking at physically what we see rather than setting our heart. And I often say, you know, if you've got a best friend, but you don't, you don't quite get along with his wife... Um, that's going to be very difficult. And you know, Jesus, Jesus has a bride, and that's his church. And he only has one bride. And it's very important we learn to love her, even when loving the church is difficult. Does that make sense? Okay. I did, I did actually feel, um, actually in the preparation, I actually felt like there are, there's maybe one or two people here today that actually are really struggling in marriage. I feel like, actually, shared with Phil, and I, I wrote like two pages just on marriage, and I realized, I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to surreptitiously try and preach on marriage. It could be its own thing. But I do feel, if there's someone here today that you just feel like you, you want to give up, that you just feel like this is too hard, that you just don't have enough love in your heart for your spouse, I just want to say, I feel like the Holy Spirit saying, He sees you, and that there is hope. That all you need to do is to choose. And, to, and just to keep showing up and trust God for the capacity and the love and the grace from Him to flow through you towards your spouse. So I don't know if that rings true for anyone, but if it does, I want that to be an encouragement. Paul, Paul also, he spoke about running the race and finishing the race strong. And um, I, I did some research and I, I wanted to know, because I hate running, I can't, can't run. I don't know if it's because I'm too lanky or I've got this weird. Phil often says I look like a giraffe. You know, I mean, like a giraffe's trying to. So, so I'm not. In, I'm not inspired to run, nor do I. Nor am I good at it. So I had to go to to some deep research to find out what it is like to run. But <laughs> so those of you who do run, just bear with me, okay? This is all theory, and it's not practical for me, yeah. But apparently, because the, the, I, asked, I asked, what is the toughest part of a race, of a marathon? And apparently, it's not the first 6Ks or halfway. It's apparently the last 10 kilometers. That actually is the hardest part of the race. And it's when your body runs out of glycogen, which is uh, stored carbohydrates. And that's when your fatigue sets in. And your body transfers over to, trans, I think it transfers fat into energy, which is a bit of a slower process. It's a better process, but it's a slower process. And uh, they say the wall phenomenon can lead to feelings of exhaustion, heaviness in the legs, mental fatigue, and overall struggle to maintain pace. Runners may experience doubt and a desire to stop or slow down. Um, overcoming the wall requires mental toughness, perseverance, and proper training. 
Experienced marathoners often prepare for the stage by developing strategies to manage their pace, nutrition, mindset throughout the race. Adequate training, proper nutrition, and mental prep are essential to pushing through these final kilometers so you can get to the finish line. And, and the reason why I, why I say that is because the race, the race is not for the young. It's not for the fast. It's not for the gifted. It's not for those of us who are supernaturally special. It really is it, it's, it's for the rest of our lives. Until that day comes when Jesus returns or we get to be with him, we're going to continue this race on an every single day basis. And I just thought about like what sometimes is that wall in our lives? And this might not apply to some people who are a bit younger, but I turned 40 this year. And um, <clears throat> I know you'd never say it because I moisturize, but <clears throat> it's not a joke. But no, jokes. But, um, but you know, sometimes the hardest part in life is when you're young, you trust in God for the job, you trust in God for the spouse, you trust in God for your kids and all this provision. And you know, sometimes God gives you that. He gives you all those things. And then, then is he still enough? Is Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected from the dead, the hope of glory, is he enough? Once God has given you all the wonders of the, of the world, is that enough that you run your race for Him? Not for the things He's given you, but run your race for Him. And there's the other side of things. Maybe you've gone through your life and you've hoped for these things. You've hoped for the job or the career or the, the family, and that hasn't come. Is He enough to live your life day by day, sacrificing everything for that day when we see Him face to face? So Jesus was honest with us and he told us that in this life we'll face many troubles, but our eyes are not to be fixed on the problems, but rather on God himself. So just to, just to, just to land, sure, landing quick. Um, I just want to say, guys, I wish, I wish I had the prosperity gospel. I wish I could tell you it's all going to be fine. There's, there's butterflies and sweets under your chair. Everyone gets a car. I don't know. Rian handed out an Audi just now. I don't know if that's biblical, but, you know, you should have given everyone an Audi. But, um, but yeah, life is hard and life is real. And, and it's probably going to get a lot worse. And the love of many will grow cold. But my prayer this morning is that your love will not grow cold your love would increase, that the light that is in you would shine even brighter as the world grows darker and darker and darker. And I want you to be encouraged, church. We need to be the people that carry this hope into a dying, broken world. And let us, let us stand firm, let us be steadfast, and let us encourage one another. God is good. I didn't touch much on God. God is good. He never changes. He, he is there. What I wanted to bring our eyes on this morning is what do we do? We need to encourage one another. We need to cry out to him, call out to him. When you don't have what it takes, we just open our hands and pray. He is good and steadfast and true. Amen.